0: Hi, I'm Sharon Davis, Chief Executive of Young Enterprise, and welcome to Enterprising Mindset Series 3, Minding Your Money. We'll be exploring the often overlooked role mindset plays in building financial capability and the significant benefits to be gained from understanding the impact our attitudes, beliefs and values have on our behaviours around money. We'll discover new ways to help young people build a money-related mindset and explore the contribution this could have in increasing social mobility in the future. So subscribe to Enterprising Mindset. My guest today has interviewed pretty much everyone you can think of prime ministers, presidents, thousands of celebrities. As a nation, we woke up to her on BBC Breakfast for over eight years. She's hosted a number of primetime television shows, including Shop Well for Less, Have I Got News for You, and her current lunchtime show is up for awards and starting its third series in September. She's a highly experienced business and finance journalist, has anchored consumer rights programmes such as Watchdog. She's a passionate advocate of financial education, And I'm extremely proud to say that she's also a Hawaii alumna. Steph McGovern, welcome to Minding Your Money.
1: Thank you very much, Sharon. Lovely to chat to you. That was quite the introduction. I should get you to be uh, my agent.
0: (laughs) Anytime. anytime. When I I was writing, I was thinking, you've just done so much stuff.
1: (laughs) So much stuff. Yeah, I guess it's just, you don't, I don't know, I, I'm one of those people who just does a job and then I'm already thinking, right, what am I going to do next in my life? And, you know, I guess that's only child syndrome, maybe, if I was wanting to think about what the next thing is, and I'm always on the go. Um, but that's what I love about my job as well. Well, and I also think there's something there around your work ethic, but I'm going to come
0: and I'm going to ask you that question a bit later. To start us off with, I'm going to go back to, uh, to little Steph because uh, we know our mindsets often informed by early experiences of the world around us, very early experiences, and there's lots of research there that says our money habits and behaviours pretty much are formed by the age of seven. So, my first question, Steph, is when you were little, cast your mind back. What were your kind of early memorable influences that helped form that attitude and mindset around money?
1: Yeah, I think fundamentally it was my parents. So, my parents have. Taught me so much about understanding that money is something you work for, understanding that you shouldn't be frivolous with it. You should only spend what you have. You shouldn't try not to get into debt. You should try and save before you buy something, and then that adds more value to it. And I had that not kind of labored to me, but more by proxy. I learned that just from seeing how they were with money. So, for example, I did dancing. I was dancing when I was a kid and we couldn't afford the top-notch brand new dresses. And, and my mom was just like, right, well, we'll get you a second-hand one and there's nothing wrong with that. And so that was a bit of a lesson in sustainability as well as understanding about, you know, you shouldn't just waste money on things. They don't always have to be brand new. Um, and then also I did lots of little things to try and earn money when I was a kid as well. So I was forever doing dumble sales. Mainly with my neighbours' stuff from her garage that she didn't want anymore. So we used to set up a little stall out the front and sell bits and bobs, apples from the apple tree in her garden. I used to go around and try and sell them to the neighbours or. So quite the entrepreneur. Yeah, or washing cars. Or one of my most lucrative schemes was um, my mum worked in a hospital uh, and in the hospital shop, they sold take that stickers that you couldn't get for some reason in any other shop. So I used to get it to bulk buy, take that stickers. I'd then take them to school and sell them on at a profit and then send it and get me some more. (laughs) Um, And so on. And then also, like, I remember when I was dancing, there was a very famous Irish dancing family whose son was very famous at the time called Sean Maguire. And so when I used to go to dancing competitions, Sean would sometimes be there. So I'd get loads of his autographs and then, you know, sign photos and then I'd sell them on at school. So I was just always like thinking about where money comes from and how to make it. And and that's why, you know, as you know, I'm so passionate about Young Enterprise because I did Young Enterprise at school as well. And I love that. I love learning about profit and loss, about marketing, about management, about sales understanding about what things like break even means and that is very much stuff i'm really interested in and it has obviously done me well in terms of i've made a bit of a career out of talking about money and pretty careful with it as well and i think that is all thanks to those as you say early years of of how your parents and those people around you who can have a big influence on you are with money as well
0: well, I've got about seven hours worth of questions from that answer. There's just so <laughs> much. There's just so much. But the first thing I will ask you is um, I think that the contribution of your work ethic to your success isn't as recognised as it should be. I think, you know, you, you do work really hard. You've been a supporter of Young Enterprise for a long time, and we know that you will try and do what you can to support us. But your schedule is phenomenal you mentioned there about kind of learning early on needing to earn money. Do you think there's any links between your early influences on money and your current and your work ethic as a,
1: as an adult? Yeah, definitely. In the area where I grew up in Middlesbrough, it was tough for lots of families, and you know I saw a lot of families with really brilliant work ethic, and that did, you know, come across to me as well as being key. You know, you don't sit about, sit around waiting for things to come to you, you go out and get them. And I think my school as well was key in that. So my school was a a, a city technology college that was very much had links to industry. Funnily enough, it was sponsored by business and it was actually sponsored by British American tobacco, controversially. (laughs) What actually that did was it really brought home the idea of why we're at school and how it's linked to careers and what jobs are out there. And I had a great understanding of what the jobs were in my local area based on that influence we had from industry in you know, having such a close partnership with the school So, and again, I think that was key. I I saw a lot of jobs. I I saw lots of the, went into lots of the engineering companies on school visits. We had projects that were given to us by companies that we do in school. And all of that, I think is what has given me this drive and, and also given me ambition too. You know, we were taught in school that just you know you're just as good as the kids in other schools I remember saying when I was at 18 I hadn't even been ever been in the BBC and I was thinking one day I want to be director general of the BBC (laughs) like you know I just I think and it's just that thing from lots of adults around us telling us we were great and not in an arrogant way and I mean just in a kind of you shouldn't yeah okay you've come from not a particularly lot of money most of the family I mean I was we were fine, but you know, lots of the families of the kids I was at school with were from you know pretty impoverished backgrounds, and but we were all made to feel just as good as anyone else, and I think that's key. And if you look at what a lot of my like mates from school are doing, they're all doing really well. Like, got their own companies, and some of them, they're like families were, you know, not anywhere near as. Um, as, doing as well as they have become. I'm trying to find the right words for it because I don't want to make it sound like they had bad families because they didn't, but just more that they've gone on to far exceed any of the expectations people would have of us from our area. And, and people say, don't
0: they, you can't be what you can't see. So you had access to some pretty good role models, lots of different ranges of careers just by the fact that your school brought really valued employability skills. Yes. And that that's... I, Brilliant. And tell me, so, so, how did you become interested in financial journalism? Then, because that's something I think a lot of people don't know. I mean, you you were anchor at Watchdog, and I watched you on that. I mean, you've you're very interested in in that element, aren't you?
1: Yeah. Well, because again, I think it just comes back to that innate interest in how the world of money works and how we make money and what jobs, what they involve, and all the different types of jobs out there. And I think when I left school, I went to work for Black & Decker in Durham, I instantly saw a lot about how business works, you know, how logistics and purchasing and all of these different things. And as I learned about them, I was more and more fascinated by them about how supply chains work and Where do the designs come from and then how do they turn into a reality and why does it take two years from someone coming up with something for it to be made in a factory? And I just found all of that really interesting. So then in terms of how I ended up doing financial journalism, it was because I got interviewed um, by the BBC on a show called Nice Work on Radio 4. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was like a, a program about the workplace And I got asked to go on to talk about being a woman in engineering because I was like 19 at this point working in Black & Decker and I'd just won an award for engineering. And so, yeah, I got asked to go on to the show and... I loved it. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I'd love to work in the media as well. I mean, I'm very much one of those people who's like every day thinking, right, I want to set up a business. What can I set up? Or I want to write a a thriller or I want to, you know, set up my own production company or I'm I'm constantly like that. And um, I mean, I must drive some people mad, especially my parents who sometimes say that my pace of life is, (laughs) they're like, oh my God, can you just slow down? Then I just was really interested in, how programs are made on the radio and obviously I had this connection with Radio 4 and this workplace program so I just got some work experience and and realized that what I was learning because I was kind of straddling two careers at the time I was still doing my engineering but then slowly doing a bit more of the the journalism stuff and uh And I realized I actually could bring a lot to the party in terms of my knowledge of working in industry. And I realized that actually there were quite a few people in the BBC at the time who didn't have a clue about it because they'd done arts or English or, and no disrespect to them because they knew a million other things I didn't. But I thought, oh, hang on. I know stuff you don't know. That's cool. Like I I can actually contribute here. And again, it comes back to teachers telling me as well, there's nothing to stop you being just as good as anyone else. That is phenomenal because you've gone on.
0: I mean, there's been lots of conversations, isn't there, about accents and things like that, but you just, I mean, uh, you know, you just continue, don't you, to just build that career. And But early days, did you have any kind of, you know, feedback about your accents, um, you know, as, as a presenter?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, for a long time, I wasn't on air. I was behind the scenes and I'd, built up quite a good reputation behind the microphone and the camera. Because you produced um, Robert Peston, didn't you? Yeah. So, yeah. And I was Robert Peston's producer during the financial crisis. So him and I were like right at the heart of it all. We were forever flying off to New York to interview bank bosses or going to number 10 to do interviews with the prime minister. And, you know, I was behind the scenes for all of that. And I was still quite young, actually. But again, within the BBC, I'd had brilliant managers who'd seen my my knowledge or whatever and thought, right, we're going to promote her. So, for example, like Evan Davis, who you'll, of course, know from Dragon's Den, uh, at the time he was the economics editor at the BBC and I went for a job to be his producer and I was totally the underdog. I mean, I was 22. I was like, you know, but... He was like, oh, your philosophy is similar to mine. So I ended up getting the job and God, I had to learn quick. (laughs) you know everything I need to know. But he was brilliant because he just realized that between us, we could do some really good pieces on economics because I brought a different perspective. Um, So yeah, I, I... and then in terms of, you know, did I suffer prejudice and stuff? I mean, yeah, of course I did. But I don't think it was never malicious from, well, certainly not within the BBC, it wasn't. It was just more a bit of ignorance about people with accents. So there would be running jokes, you know, jokes about me being the Northern one or where's the Northern one? No. And that's because literally I was the only person in that office at that time who had an accent that wasn't, you know, I mean, we all have accents, but it was the only like a regional accent and it was definitely the only Northern one. And so I, but I used that to my strength because I thought I'd I'd rather stand out and be authentic than just try and fit in. And I think there's certain times in your career where you think, oh God, I better try and fit in. And you you have a little bit of a crisis of confidence. And, And definitely I've had that, but never to the point where I would fundamentally change who I am and who I am is a girl from the North with an accent that I'm proud of. And that's, I would never change it. But then when I went from being behind the camera to in front of it, that's when you realize there's still a lot of ignorance out there from unfortunately, it's a small minority of the public, you know it's not like there's uh, hundreds of thousands of people having to go at me about my voice, but when I first went on, there were people who were like, "Oh, right, a girl with a regional accent talking about serious things, right, okay, you know they were very happy with your aunt and your decks and your show calls and all that doing entertainment, but they weren't so happy about someone with an accent like that talking about money and business and, you know, what the FTSE 100's doing. And, but that, again, it wasn't like loads and loads of people. And I think more often than not, it was just a bit of a shock, like, oh, we've not had this on the BBC before, or certainly not that often. You know, we you had a Welsh accent, of course, from brilliant Hugh Edwards and the like, or, you know, great Scottish accents or Irish accents, but there were really no regional accents um, so then I became a bit of a poster girl for regional accents. And, it, and you know, whenever there's an accent story anywhere, I always get called. Well, you come oh, on I can and imagine that <laughs> having an imagine. accent. And I don't, the funny thing is, the majority of people have an accent. So it's just weird that it's still a thing people talk about. Um, and,
0: li- and listening to you, uh, it's really inspiring because, you know, time and time again, I'm hearing you just say yes to opportunities. If there are, <laughs> yeah. there's an opportunity, say yes and find a way of then learning how to do it.
1: Yeah, because I think, you know, as particularly women, unfortunately, but we, we're, we're not as confident as the fellas quite often. You know, if there's, and there's some uh, loads of research that's been done on this. If there's a job application and a, a woman can't do more than two thirds of it, she won't apply. Whereas if a man can only do a third of it, he'll definitely apply. And, you know, and that's a sweeping generalization and I don't want to start, you know, going on about gender wars, but it's just more that I think, I would say I'm probably more on the male side of that because I'm a bit of a blagger. I just now think, well, I'll have a go. I'll throw myself in at the deep end. What is the worst that's going to happen? I'm not going to get fired, am I? I'm, I'm, because I'm not going to do anything that extreme. I'll probably just not be very good at it and slowly move on to something else. But I, I just think that I've definitely learned that With most people are blagging their jobs. You know, I've interviewed top, top politicians and business leaders and if you said to them do you feel like sometimes you're blagging your job secretly they'd say yes (laughs) they wouldn't say it on camera but they definitely say it to me off camera like oh god yeah some days I haven't got a clue what I'm doing but you work your way through it and I think we should tell young people that more
0: often. And there's another uh, powerhouse Alex Jones Uh, you were a great double act on shop wealth you're obviously on a mission to help families change the way they shop without changing their lifestyle and With some, I felt with some particular episodes, you made real inroads with some families. So, what do you feel drove the big changes when it came to financial behaviours? And and do you think we can learn anything from that as a as a society?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny you should mention Alice because she's her name's just lit up on my screen. She's just text me as you speak. (laughs) So, she's you know really good friend of mine and. When we first did that show, we'd never met and we were kind of thrown together and realised actually our backgrounds were very similar. And again, coming back to that whole philosophy thing, we had a similar philosophy about, yeah, it's mad, this telly job. We're not going to take it too seriously, (laughs) but we can hopefully bring some good in what we do. And, And I think with the families on Shotwell, more often than not, they were a typical family in that they are trying to manage children, pets, the home, their careers. And actually that can be really hard to juggle. We all know that. And often the things you neglect in that, when you're trying to juggle everything and the things you find the hardest, like dealing with money. And the reason why you find it hard is because you've probably never been taught about it, you've you've probably never had anyone explain to you. And then it gets to a point and you get to an age where you think, oh God, I feel stupid for not knowing. I'm just gonna bury my head in the sand about it. And so what was great about all these families were they were willing to like go, yeah, do you know what? I haven't got a clue about budgeting. And therefore we could then help. And most of the things we did weren't like anything, you know, out there crazy. It was just more simple things like do you actually even look at your incomings and your outgoings? And more often than not, no, they don't. So you're just sitting down with them and you know, you're showing them the apps they can use to quickly do that for them so that it's not a big laborious process. They can just, you know, use these apps or whatever, or it's just about showing them when they are shopping, like the mindset of a shopper, you know, like making sure you don't go to the supermarket or whatever, and you're starving or write a list. You know, it's really like simple things. And, you know, I'm sure there were some people who watched you thought, well, they're not telling me anything. I don't know. But that's probably somebody who is already really on top of their finances.
0: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. on
1: the whole, there's lots of people who aren't. And it's not stupidity. It's just not being taught about it. You know, we don't, again, why I go on about why young enterprise is so important, we don't teach Useful finance stuff in schools like great Pythagoras theorem, trigonometry, whatever else. I'm sure there are some people out there using it, but probably not that many. And what would be more useful is understanding what an APR is, you know, working out how to get a mortgage. What is council tax and why do we pay it? What, you know, what happens when you get a credit card? How long is it going to take you to pay off that thing you've just bought? And then if we understood. If we were taught about that, I think that would make a huge difference to the way that families deal with their finances. Um, but unfortunately, I'm not in charge of the uh, curriculum, although I have gone on about it a lot. And I know Martin Lewis, again, is amazing at, you know, going on about this. And I have met with Gavin Williamson before, the education secretary, and said to him, like, this is so important. We need to make sure that we're just teaching more practical stuff. I get you need to do all the applied math stuff. I get you need to do the the pure maths, but can we just bring it into real life a bit more so then people don't fear maths and, and they understand it more? And Well, it's
0: funny you should mention the applied bit because um, we know that young people, even very young children, are beginning to look at cashless payments more and more. Uh, yeah. Even before the pandemic, only 23% of all payments in 2019 were cash compared to 58% in 2009. So we know there's a big shift. Yeah. Do you think that there's, there's a difference in how this will help young people develop money skills and mindsets compared to you know when we were using cash? Because you mentioned that with families as well, having to
1: find apps to help them track incomings and outgoings. Yeah. The way we... Deal with finances. Hopefully, will get easier because of all the technology around it now. But the only worry is that the technology also makes it much easier for you to have no idea what you're spending as well. If you don't want to know, you know. So if you tapping and going all the time and you're never looking at, you know, your bank balances and things, then then that's not good. Yeah, and I I agree with that. Again, it just comes back to learning. I just think we need to be Teaching this in schools. And I know Young Money, you guys doing a brilliant job with that. And I've been in a school in near in my hometown and school in a very tough background. But the Young Money lessons they were doing had really made a difference to those primary kids understanding it. They were and they were helping their parents, but helping their parents in a way that didn't make their parents feel like stupid or patronized or whatever. And I was like overwhelmed by it because there were kids. They were like, I don't know, ten year old telling me about exchange rates and interest rates, and I was like, wow, this is cool. But you know, that's not something that those schools get assessed on from Ofsted. They'll be more bothered about whether they've met their key stage, whatever three thingy. And that I know that I know that's important too. But like for me, I just think that, that it's it's sad that teachers are having to take on extra work in order to do some of these lessons which would be so good if they were uh, much more a part of the day-to-day curriculum and i know there is now much more in the curriculum than there was and that's great but i still don't feel like it's enough
0: yeah and and of course financial education isn't yet on the curriculum at primary level which is where it needs to be because yeah. obviously you know you need to start early and of course you're now a mum of a little one yourself yeah. so what are you, what are yours and your partner's plans to help her build that positive money mindset
1: oh well it's absolutely key in fact it's not just my little girl it's like all my friends kids I've got them all like I've set up pretty much accounts for all of them like you know (laughs) little accounts and put a little bit of money in I mean my daughter already has got a little piggy bank and it's one of those you know little daft toys where you when you put a coin in it tells you the number of the coin and things and I, I will, that, that is my sole mission with my, all my mates' kids is I am going to teach them all about money and I'm going to do little lessons for them in a fun way. And we're going to go out and we're going to do, we can do shopping trips and things like that. It'll be really fun, but I'll, I'll, I want all of them by the time they're 10 to understand money and have savings and absolutely. really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm going to do I, the I, heading, I know. Absolutely. But, yeah.
0: Brilliant brilliant and when you are um director general of the bbc you can kind of bring in how you've done that yeah well. i don't think i ever will be now
1: that i've done things like dressed as a bee on telly <laughs> and, uh, you know done all the other things i think i would you not yeah, there's too there's too much footage of me doing stupid things now for oh, me to okay. have a serious job like that
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay that's a shame um right okay we've quickly running out of time. But in advance of this interview, we asked some young people whether they had questions for you and they did. They've got some really good ones. So yeah, are you ready? Lovely. Are you ready? Okay. The first one I think is great is uh, what was the first big thing you bought yourself with your wages from your first job on the telly?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I think the first big thing I bought with my telly money was a car. And I'd always, when I was a kid, always dreamed of having a sports car one day. And I thought I'm going to earn enough money to get a sports car. And that's what I did. I saved up and bought the car without any finance or anything. I just went in and bought it. And that was when I was like, oh my God, I've got a sports car, which I then had to sell last year though, because now I've got a child. Children and sports cars don't go very well together. (laughs) So it's gone. But that was the first big thing I bought. Brilliant.
0: Um, And my second question from young people is, do you have any good habits or tips that you could share
1: about managing your money? Yeah. So I, um, my mates call me spreadsheet Steph. So I've got a little (laughs) spreadsheet, which has constantly, I look at, yeah, (laughs) every week I look at it and I'm like, what's coming in? What's going out? It's just making sure you're looking at what's going on. That's the key. You don't have to be really frugal or anything. I'm still, I would like to think, still quite a generous person and and I'm not dead tight or anything, but I'm constantly working out where money's coming from and going to. Like, I love doing my taxes. I know that's really sad, but i (laughs) I like, because I get my spreadsheet out and I'm like, look how organized I am. Whereas some of my mates are sat surrounded by receipts, panicking. And I'm like, no, this is great. Like this gives me, a sense of like clear mind and fulfilment. So, but you I, don't I, I leave it till like, the last minute.
0: You're 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 doing it on a daily, weekly yeah. basis. Yeah.
1: So, I would oh. say my top tip is just keep looking at where your money's coming from and what you're spending it on.
0: This is the final question now. Um, so, with COP twenty six on the horizon, do you think? that people's mindsets towards their personal finances have or will change in relation to the climate effort? I suppose it's things like disposable, fashion, et cetera. Do you think? Yeah,
1: I absolutely do because I, I think the generation coming through now, uh, Generation Z, are yeah. really much more savvy about the impact spending has on the environment. And I'm seeing that in, with lots of business people I'm talking to who are saying no longer is, you know, thinking about sustainability, just a box ticking thing. It's like, actually, that impacts how people spend money with companies. So you're getting, you know, people asking questions about where things are coming from and asking questions about the foot carbon footprint. You, and and you're seeing that more and more. So I think definitely now the generation coming through are the ones who are going to push us more into being much more sustainable and spending that way to put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That consumer-driven behaviours. Absolutely. Uh, Steph, sadly, I I did have another um, 17 hours of questions for you, but I think we've come to the end (laughs) of uh, time together. Uh, Before we go, can I just say... Um, A big thank you for all your work to promote financial education, for your advocacy on the importance of providing young people with opportunities to build skills.
1: And thank you for talking to us on Minding Your Money. You're very welcome. As ever, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to many more years of us working together and doing brilliant stuff with Young Enterprise and Young Money. So thanks to Steph for joining us
0: on Enterprising Mindsets, Minding Your Money. To hear more interviews like this and also access Series 1 and 2, Please subscribe to Enterprising Mindsets on your favorite podcast service.